We're back again. There we go. We're at episode 50, you know, 52 or 53 of Friday Night Counter Attack. And um, it's back again with Hams and with Ollie again. So Ollie's joined me for another podcast. And um, like I said previously, Ollie will be joining us a lot more frequently now this season. And I'm looking forward to it because our schedules align. So I'm quite happy with that. It's a beautiful morning here in England, or where I'm living anyway. And hopefully it's a good afternoon where you are, Ollie, um, in Vietnam. So how are you doing today, Ollie? You okay? Yes, bro. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, excited to have a chat, man. Like, good thing that our, our schedules are aligning. And uh, yeah, man, we've got some, some good topics today, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so it's going to be good. Um, so basically this week we had a poll, not really a poll, like more of a Q&A on our Instagram about who was one of the best long-range shooters currently in the world. But a lot of people were going on about how um, Paul Scholes and Stephen Jarrett and Frank Lampard were really good long-range strikers. So I thought, you know what, we'll do that on the podcast of the top five all-time long-range shooters as well. So it'll be something that we can discuss. Um, mainly to help me with my university um, assessment because I'm doing long-range shooting as a training course for, for 15 minutes. So I'm like, who could I use as a prime example? So it'll be quite good to do that. <laughs> um, we've got a discussion regarding the whole Manchester United job situation. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has officially left and Michael Carrick's in interim charge and there's talks of Pochettino potentially coming in to replace him, Valverde potentially coming in as an interim, Ralph Ragnar, there's so many people being mentioned, so we're just going to um, take a step back and see who's the best option for Manchester United. And we're going to be talking about the Premier League, as we normally do at the end of the podcast, and see uh, which games are going to be the best ones to watch, which ones are the ones to avoid, and who's going to be the ones to win and lose this weekend. So it's going to be a decent podcast today. Um, Bali, first of all, how are you looking forward to um, the season with Antonio Conte as your manager because you had a pretty decent comeback <laughs> um, against United last weekend. Did you watch? Oh it? man, yeah. Do you know what I said? Because it was it finished at like a half one in the morning here mm. in Ho Chi Minh. So uh, I thought I said to myself, I watched the first half and then I watched it and I was like, you know what? The second half can't be any worse. So I'm just gonna like stay up, just see how we respond. And then like five minutes into the second half, I was like. Okay, I'm staying up for this. This is like this is a new level Spurs. So, you know, I was buzzing when Conte came, and now I'm just like buzzing like three times as much as that just to see the way that the team are responding to his coaching. Just uh, oh man, the passion! Haven't seen that for years. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing Antonio Conte as your manager because it's like I said a million times before. I wanted Antonio Conte to be the Manchester United manager. I'm just there, like, you've got such a gem of a manager and you've got someone who can actually do the job properly week in, week out and actually improve the current players. And we discussed that a couple of weeks ago in terms of the players that we, he would be playing in. We got it nearly spot on in terms of the starting eleven that we predicted as well, like Davies and Dyer still started at the back. Um, Harry Kane and Son were still in the yeah. team. Lucas had a really good second half from what I could see as well. So it's good to see that... Um, that's the kind of system he's going to be using. It's going to be good to see how he can actually um, counter from this this lackluster start that you've had to the season. Um, but yeah, I'm man. looking forward to seeing how Antonio Conte will do as manager because I think yeah. um, Burnley I'll, away I'll, and you've got your Europa Conference League um, this week as well. Yeah, that's I think that's today Conference League. So buzzing to see people like uh, Sessegnon get a chance. Obviously, like the wide players are so important under Conte. So. They're really like excited to see what happens. I mean, you look at Chelsea, Liverpool, they use their fullbacks, Man City. So it's gonna be so refreshing to see like a, a team that are like trying to attack from all angles. Would you say that the fullback position is probably the most important position in the Premier League at the moment? Given how Man, important like given how important Reese James and Trent Alexander and Cancelo have been this season and consistently been this season. Would you say having um, Regulon or Sessegnon fighting for that first place position would be pretty good as a left wing back uh, position as well yeah I think it's ideal for both those players uh, obviously Sessegnon haven't seen anything of him just it's all it's all just like what I know from his Fulham days mm. but for Regulon for example just seeing him attacking is just like it's wonderful compared to seeing him defending so if he's if he's more of an attacking role yeah for sure man something to be excited over having the competition for places as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens down the wings. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good time for you as well because you've got 
such a you've got such a squad where you can actually rotate in a couple of positions as well. So besides being the centre forward, most positions you can rotate here and there. And Antonio Conte will be working very, very, very what's the term? Uh, methodically, he'll be working methodically with his, especially his attacking wingers as well. The likes of Bergwijn, the likes of Deli Ali, if he's going to be the, one of the front three, or if he's going to be the one in the two sitting, he'll probably be one of the front three to be fair and see how it does from the, see how it goes from there. Um, going forward as well, which will be yeah, man. Um, oh, guy, guy's a legend already. <laughs> needs a statue if he gets you that that FA Cup or something like that, or the Conference League. There's still the Conference oh. League within your shop. Could be an option. Yeah, we'll take anything right now. To be honest, <laughs> it's that needs, bad. Needs to be done. Needs to be done. But no, I'm um, staying with Spurs. We're going to be talking about. I think we'll just um, continue talking about um, your former manager in a way, Mauricio Pochettino, who had a who had a. Really, I don't know how to explain it. Yesterday in the PSG game, it was a really good game to watch. But if I was the manager of that team, I don't know if you saw the game, but basically Neymar, Messi and Mbappe, for 90% of the game when they didn't have the ball, they'd just be walking back. They wouldn't be looking to win the ball back. And I'm kind of thinking in modern day football nowadays, against elite teams and an elite team like Manchester City, why would you want to be a manager when you have three players who just don't want to put in the hard work? Because that kind of cost them the game in the way because their fullbacks were basically like Nuno Mendes and Hakimi. They're young fullbacks and they were basically exposed like three against one because no one else would come and uh, track back against it. So I found that quite worrying for Maurizio Pochettino as a manager. And obviously I'm a Man United fan, so I've been looking at the rumours this week and been seeing who's coming in and who's may not be coming in. But I think Maurizio Pochettino would be begging to leave PSG after that performance yesterday. What do you think, Oli? Do you reckon PSG would be okay to let Mauricio Pochettino go? Do you reckon Pochettino would be a good fit for Man United? Let me hear your first initial thoughts on this Poch situation. Yes, uh, like I completely understand why Manu would be wanting to go after someone like Poch. You know, what he did for Spurs, just kind of t- turned the club, brought them to like a new level. But as you say, like, well, he's, he's with PSG now and he's, he's struggling to, to get the superstars to perform and do probably what he asked them. Maybe like, or maybe they just don't want to follow his, his uh, methods. And I don't know, if, if he goes to Man United, he's also got superstars in people like Pogba, Ronaldo, who already kind of have their way of playing. They might not be open to listening to his advice. Uh, I think Man United need a, need a, a Conte or a Zidane, to be honest, someone who's bigger than the players. That's the only thing I worry about with Poch coming in is there's still going to be players who maybe they, they have a bigger ego than what Poch can control. And perhaps that's why he's not enjoying his time at PSG because, you know, he, he demands a lot from his players. And if your players do have that ego, I don't need to work. I don't need to run. Then, you know, he's just setting up for, for failure, really. And I feel like that was the case under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well, because I know for a fact not every single player in the team will run, but every single t- player in the team will still give an, a really good effort as well. And I can I could see the difference in that from Man United's display against Villarreal compared to their display against Watford. Um, so Michael Carrick was on the touchline, and he was actually on the touchline as opposed to sitting on the subs bench like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did when he was the Man United <laughs> manager. Soaking, <so>. yeah. <laughs> he would always Sitting be there, there like, watching his screen at Old Trafford and just seeing what happens here and there and everywhere. But nine times out of ten, he'd be sitting down. But Michael Carrick spent most of the time just standing up, trying to organise his team whilst being um, being the interim manager as well. And Darren Fletcher was there as well. So it was a good it's a good little observation there in terms of how Michael Carrick wanted to observe the team going forward. And I think Maurizio Pochettino would be someone who could obviously take this club a lot further than where they are at the moment. Because when you're looking at the team, we haven't left it in such a bad way, like under the likes of uh, Jose Mourinho, where six, seven people need to leave, or Louis van Gaal mm. leaves, and you've got two or three people who have outstayed their welcome there as well, or just haven't made the cut in terms of the signings that van Gaal has made. Um, but realistically speaking, I think Pochettino would be my favourite choice for Manchester United manager, because my favourite, uh, Luis Enrique, isn't available. He's going to be with Spain until the 20, 2022 World Cup, so he's not leaving anytime soon. Ten Hag is someone who I think would be a fantastic coach um, in the Premier League once um, he get. He can, I think he needs to get at, at least another year or two under his belt because if he's come to Man United now, 
it'd be it'd be it'd be playing some good attacking football. But I feel like with Ten Hag, how he deals with like the external features of being a football manager, like the board and the finances and things like that, because you're just going to be there, like, and the big egos as well, because that's what people forget about David Moyes. David Moyes was a pretty good manager at Everton before he moved to Manchester United. And then he lost the dressing room because of the egos in the dressing room. There was that story of how um, Vidic and Ferdinand lost faith in David Moyes almost immediately because they asked him to um, watch a video of Phil Jagielka defending. And you're just there thinking, like, how, what, what are they going to learn from Phil Jagielka that Ferdinand and Vidic don't already know as well in defending? So it's quite, yeah, it's quite odd that as well. Same with David Moyes um, saying at the beginning of the season, oh, Robin van Persie is the main man for Man United because it just isolated uh, Hernandez and Wayne Rooney and Kagawa. And you're just there thinking, like, these are your attacking players who you'll need over the season. And they didn't really do much after that as well. So, personally speaking, I think Mauricio Pochettino can kind of deal with all of these external things. He's dealt with a board like Daniel Levi's um, <laughs> before as well. Is dealt with the fact that he's had limited funds and he got you to a Champions League final in a season where was it the season where you just sold Dembele in January but you didn't actually buy it? Yeah, yeah, we were falling off. Yeah, it was kind of because even when we were when we got to that final, we lost it. The mm. pundits were quick to say, "Yeah, we'd been falling off." And yeah, it's the problem with with Poch. I think is as I was mentioning before, you know, he needs his players fighting for him, and without like freshening it up. I think people started to lose faith as as they do. Like I can I can feel what it's like to be a manager in some ways. As when I kind of go into a classroom, so obviously I'm a teacher. So if I go into a classroom and it's sometimes it's it's, it's like lovely. The kids are happy to see a new face, new methods of learning. But when you have them for a while, you know it kind of starts to get stagnant. And the kids who are good at English maybe they they get arrogant. They don't need to learn more. So I kind of feel what it's like in some ways to be a manager. And it is, it's so hard to, to keep people motivated the whole time. And uh, you, yeah, you need the fresh faces. I think that was the problem at Spurs. So I think Poch will come in and he'll do what he does. But, you know, I, I still feel like if he goes to Man United, he's going to have problems where he won't be able to get Manu to the stage that they used to be. And I don't know how Manu fans feel where do they want to be? What what are Man United's uh, fans' expectations? What what do you see? Like the, the the whole fan base? Do they accept that they'll never be what they were, or just looking uh, to kind of progress? Nah. So I can I can speak for myself, but I know for a fact that a lot of these Man United fans in the fan base they're kind of gonna they're gonna be along the lines of oh we want to get back to the Sir Alex Ferguson days. We want to get back to. Um, how things were when we were the dominant one but football's moved on man football's moved on and you've got so many things in terms of you want to catch up from um, what life was like under Strikes Ferguson because with life under Strikes Ferguson you could win the league then you could buy the best player from a rival team that wasn't like a Liverpool or a Man City you could go to for example you could go to Arsenal and you could buy Robin Van Persie for 24 million and then win the league yeah. season as well you could go yeah, and go to get Berbatov on, on deadline day. Um, <laughs> that, was a, that was a fun day at school the next day. Um, you could, yeah, you could do that kind of thing. And nowadays you'd spend double that money on someone like Fred, for example. And you're just there thinking, oh, we're still trying to play catch up with the rest of the league. And it's kind of like you could pay 50 million for Wan-Bissaka, but Wan-Bissaka hasn't improved in two, three years that has been at the club. And then Kind of like with me, you're looking at other people's right-backs or full-backs and you're thinking Reese James is having a time of his life right now under Thomas Tuchel. You're looking at um, someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold who's consistently putting in nine out of ten performances attacking-wise as well. Cancelo, who's played probably one of the best assists of the season so far. As well. <laughs> and you're just, Yeah, so you're kind of just there thinking like there's so many things in terms of we need to catch up besides thinking, oh yeah, we need to win the league, we need to win the Champions League. We're through to the next round of Champions League, but I think with Pochettino there, if he was to come immediately, he would be able to take us there. He would be the one that could actually take us further with with this team as well. Because that's how I see it, Oli. I see it in terms of we've still got four or five steps to go before we're actually a great team. 
because we're yeah, a yeah. great club. We're not, we're not a great team. If we were a great team, we'd be consistently fighting for all of these trophies season in, season out. Kind of like Manchester City. Manchester City um, took PSG to the sword yesterday. And you're just there thinking, like, they have players missing. Foden, De Bruyne, uh, Jack Grealish as well. Uh, Laporte wasn't playing at the same time. And you're just kind of thinking, like, this is a quality that Man United are expected to have or have been expected to have for a good number of years, but we just don't. So it's, yeah, it's going to be good to see how Pochettino, um, how Pochettino does over the next couple of weeks or so if he does stay at PSG. Because if you remember last season, Thomas Tuchel left after the Champions League group stage campaign from PSG as well. There was rumours it was regarding that Denver Bar racist incident um, in that Istanbul Bashikshir game. Um, but then he ended up moving to Chelsea in the winter, and so and so. If Poch could do that, that'd be great. Because I'm going to the Brighton game in December, so hopefully I get to watch a team with an <laughs> manager, not a Michael Carrick, in in, <laughs> in the dugout. No disrespect. Nah. I want an actual manager who can manage. Nah. but as, as a Spurs fan, yeah, I really don't want to see him go to to Man United. I'm still thinking, you know, Conte for a year or two, and then when he moves on. Because it's inevitable, he's, like, he's going to keep moving. Then it's time for you know the Poch to come back. But if he goes to Manu, you know maybe he's not that guy who's available. Oh man, Spurs fans can't can't get over that that guy. So don't, don't you remember there's that time where Poch was still looking at the Man United job when Jose Mourinho was out of the job, and he was just saying like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not too keen on leaving Spurs at the moment. But he was kind of like, interested in the job secretly. He couldn't say it publicly. And then we stuck with Solskjaer for the rest of the three years as well. Yeah, I mean, like, why, why wouldn't you be if you're a, if you're a manager? Mm. One of the biggest clubs in England, if not, you know, the biggest over the last 20 years. So uh, can't blame him. If, can't blame anyone if they, if they want to go there. But just the way your board is these days would put, like, would put me off <laughs> if, I, if I was in their shoes. I don't know, like, with Man United... Because that's you the know, thing. like, just you just don't know <laughs> what's going on. No, it's, it, that's a, that's literally the thing. Like Edward would say that he may end up staying a bit more, um, spending a bit more time at Manchester United as well. And you're, he's going to be like, oh, like we want to get rid of him. Like he's not done much good for the for the club commercially. Yes, financially, yes. Uh, it's not what you want us really. to support, yeah. though, is it? Not it's not what, what we're after. Um, that's why I'm thinking, like, with Pochettino, he's dealt with this kind of BS before. And he can just forget about all of that and just manage the players that he has on the pitch. Because if Pochettino then goes from like managing Messi to managing Ronaldo, and you've got players like Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes who do put the hard work in, pressing from the front. Um, you've got players like Donny van der Beek and Jadon Sancho, who he has admired previously in the past as well. It'd be quite good to see how he does it and to see how he can actually improve his team going forward. Because what? when you're looking at the managers nowadays, Conte, Tuchel, Klopp, um, Pep Guardiola then you've got Michael Carrick then you've got Arteta <laughs> then you've got Brendan Rodgers you're just like, kind of thinking like this such a literally just just st- uh, sticking out there Michael Carrick so you kind of don't want to go for someone interim then wait for yeah, yeah. it's just a write-off for the whole season and I hate when teams do that we're in November and you want to write off the whole season straight away the fans just yeah, won't yeah. be bored of that at all yeah I'm, I'm surprised that the whole the whole management didn't didn't get a didn't get the sack, and I'm surprised that there was no planning for this either. It's just, just a bit of a shambles, really. But yeah, definitely. But like how, but how how do you see Poch though compared to your Conte and your two shells, where they are absolute like geniuses when it comes to tactics? I don't feel like Poch is really that that genius. He's just that guy who who kind of motivates his players, and he can and tries to demand the best, helps to grow them. But I don't know if he's if he's that that genius when it comes to tactics, winning matches. Uh, that's a good question. I think for me personally, it's with 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 his Spurs side, that's where I can relate to him the most in terms of the fact that he had a good solid solid 15, 16 players he could rely upon week in, week out, which worked well for him. So he had like almost his chosen starting eleven. The the team changed over the years. Like he had to sell Carl Walker, he had to get rid of um, I think Wanyama uh, left, Dembele left, and you were just like, kind of thinking like he's still got his, he still had his favourite, so he still played Harry Kane in that Champions League final. I still believe he shouldn't have. 
I think that was a bad yeah. <laughs> obviously hindsight sure. is a wonderful thing but even at the time I was thinking why bench Lucas Moore who got you there in the first place um, no, but I, I think with Pochettino I think this would be the step which would make him that tactical genius I think if he would be in that elite environment I think you have that world class um, world class facility in terms of working at Carrington bringing his coaching staff or maybe looking at another assistant coach coming in someone um, who's actually coached at the top level before as well that could join his existing um, coaching staff that would be pretty good to go for at the same time not someone like Michael Carrick or someone like um, Mick Phelan or Kieran McKenna <laughs> who we've had for the last three years uh, hey man. you're just there like, you. yeah, they, they may know the club but they're not really bringing anything different or anything um, fantastic to be. and I think that's what we need really because when you look at these coaches they've had long-standing assistant coaches for a good number of years as well the Klopp's the Pep's the, the Tuchel's and um, I'm not sure about Conte to be fair but they've had a lot they've had a lot of um, expertise in terms of the fact they have such an amazing football knowledge generally they yeah. know how to adapt to a club straight away and it worked really well for a lot of these these uh, managers with their assistant coaches it shows the importance of having a good backroom staff as well because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was let down by his backroom staff let alone letting down the club by himself it, it is what it is really and a lot of Man United fans saw that but I think with Pochettino with the the man managing that he has already the, the fact that he can actually motivate teams to get 107% and every single game would work pretty well but I think it's just one of those things that because I know Pochettino and I've seen what it was that he's done if we were to get him it's one of the more um, what's the term you're more you're, you're more at a peace of mind really because you've seen what he's done you've seen how he's taken his teams to cup finals before you've seen that he knows the English Premier League and how other managers work and how other teams work it gives you that peace of mind to be fair that's how I would do it um, personally if I was if I had the opportunity to do it yeah I mean yeah you can't can't, can't say anything bad about Poch really and if he's the best bet going then you know you've got to make do with and Poch will certainly uh Certainly, like raise the the level at Man United. So. But yeah, I hope you, you don't you get him broke. <laughs> you can't say anything wrong about Poch when Arsenal fans wanted Pochettino once upon a time as well, whilst he was still at Spurs. That's how yeah, you know you can't a, say anything wrong about Poch. He's just got a lovely charisma about him as well. Like same with Conte. Like I just love watching the press conferences. Just like, just actually, just to hear them talk about the team and just to like see how they respond to questions, the psychology mm. they use. It's just, it's, for me, it's something I never used to care about. But yeah, since you read we, about you know, it later, the, you'll see some of the quotes yeah. as well. But now I'm like happy to see, like watch when the YouTube video drops of, uh, of Conte, I'm just like... Hey. <laughs> it's captivating, isn't he? His box office, Antonio Conte is. That's what you need, man. I think Podge is kind of similar as well. Mm. Better, better than Ole, for sure, or a character. <laughs> Definitely. My goodness, those days, hopefully they're over. Because that's the thing. The fact that they lasted so long is, is beyond me. Because I think it's just the fact that they tried and tried and tried to stay with him. It just didn't work. It really uh, didn't. Again, just seems like poor planning from the board, to be honest. Mm. Like, no backup plan. I Don't get me wrong. I love Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for what he's done. I love the fact that he gave it a go. Because at the end of the day, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, was us. He was the fans in that seat. And we've never seen that in our lifetime before in terms of, well, besides Sir Alex Ferguson, obviously. But he's actually a fan of the club. He'd played for the club before. You could see his friends backing him in the media and some that were actually being honest about the club. But it's the fact that he gave it everything and he knew for a fact that he may not get this opportunity again. And it was a fact yeah, that yeah. it's the results-driven business. And the fact that all of this all came together, he just wasn't a man for Manchester United. He took us as far as he could have gone. He gave us some amazing moments. He got us some amazing players, some not-so-amazing players. But it is what it is at the end of the day. There's, there's goods and bads to his, his tenure at Man United. More goods than bads, to be fair. We probably should have won that Europa League final last summer. Um, we mm. probably should have gone further in, in, a, in an FA Cup campaign or two, getting to a final. Uh, semi-final FC wasn't the one for us, but that's where I think Pochettino can help us build further as well. I think he can actually yeah. do more of these players that he has at his disposal. Um, yeah. yeah. Where, where do you see him going quickly? Where do you see Oli moving on from this? Um, there, there's always that talk of like, he could go back to Norway, relax for a bit, take some time out of the game and then go back into coaching 
somewhere in Norway or in Scandinavia. Potentially the Norway job as well once um once he's mm, yeah. finding, finding it as a comfortable option. But I think he's good enough for Champions League football. Someone like a Club Bruges or a young boy, someone who's potentially on the cusp of the Europa League as well. I think it'd be good to see how some of his teams um, would play because obviously he plays that counter-attack in football, sitting back, pressing from the front if he needs to as well. It'd be good to see him back in European management mostly. I think it'd be quite good to see how he does. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to follow uh, his career from, from here on out. Yeah, because even though he's had his time at Mulder and Cardiff and Man United, there's, there's still opportunity, I think, for a European option as well. Like a Scandinavian option would be pretty good. It would be, it'd be good to see how he does um, going forward with that as well, which would be decent. Top, yeah. Nice. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but yeah, we'll go back to our little conversation about the top five. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do top five all-time long-range shooters because that's something that <laughs> I found quite fascinating as well. Um, a lot of our viewers and listeners found it quite fascinating as well. We put it, we'll put it as a poll for this week's podcast because I've been doing polls recently on the on the Spotify app, which is quite funny, actually. People like um, joining in with that. But um, we normally do... do like love a, a poll. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we do love a poll. We love, we love voting for who we love and who we don't love. But so many people to choose from in terms of long-range shooting. There's so many options. I'm not just talking free kicks. I'm talking like volleys, half volleys. Yeah, um, man, all of that good stuff. That good stuff, that finesse shot that you have as well. Mate, um, Tiago, Tiago for Liverpool. That was one, one hell of a striker. Like, that, that, there's that one camera angle where you can just see the ball just like swerving in. And you say, oh, this oh man. Shot. So good. Delicious. Delicious. Finessed it, snacked it, all of that. <laughs> so good to see. Um, but no, Oli, let's start with your first five. Um, you can do all time or you can do current, how, however you would choose it. Um, it's up to you, really. If you want to put Harry Kane in there, I don't mind at all. It's my, mine's obviously biased. So, <laughs> um, straight away, well, I, I, in the poll I said skulls, but if I was to actually do it one to five, you got you got to put Bale number one because this guy just used to turn a game on his head. Just out of nowhere, he'll cut inside, smack it top bins from forty yards, or even he'll just smack it down, you know, the throat of the keeper. And it would just be swerving, and he's just a goal out of nothing. Especially and, that goal. Uh, um, there's that goal against the West Ham once upon a time for Spurs West last Ham, yeah. game at Upton Park. That's and it. He, just, like, he runs to Andre Villas Boas, and you're just there thinking, this guy is just ran the whole game, and he just has that power in his left foot to just do that. That's the thing in my nah. mind. Quality tank. No, his nah, amazing five as well. So I'm keep I'm keeping that with Gareth Bale. No, yeah, I, I went. I know he was. He didn't really stay in the Premier League for as long as we all wanted him to. But um, for me, I saw the stat. He has the. I think it was the most goals outside the box in one season with nine. Mm. And I think that dwarfs everyone else. I think maybe it was like max six before, under that. So that was quite impressive. So I'm going Bale first, and mm-hmm. then uh, I think we're going to have to give it Gerard. Just uh, you can't just argue reco- with it, really. If you're, just, being, if, yeah. You're, yeah, if you're being objective, you can't argue with Steven Gerrard and the fact that he did it in big games, big occasions, the Cardiff final against West Ham uh, last yeah, night. That game screamer, yeah, that screamer, yeah. The Olympiacos goal where Andy Gray just went crazy as well. He's <laughs> got um, a really good one against Middlesbrough on the half volley where he just chested it down 35 yards out and just whacked it. His technique was amazing as well. It's really good because it was so consistent. Head over the ball, um, standing foot next to the ball as yeah. well, and just whack it. Because once you've got your technique right, you can put as much power on it as possible. You're just breaking Wait, it it's, every single time. Yeah. Right. It's literally just trademark Gerard, isn't it? To see him in that pose, <laughs> busting the net. Um, Did you score many like that against Spurs once upon a time for you? Yeah. Oh, can't, can't remember any... But, you know, you know, he probably did. <laughs> he did, really, he did um, a really good one against Manchester City um, at the Etihad. I think he scored. It's like a chest down, and then like thirty-five yards. I just banged it in as well. It's like I'm repeating myself, but he just kept repeating himself on the pitch like that as well. But it goes to show it lasted him all of his career as well, because this was in like 2013, 2014. So it wasn't just when yeah. he was a young man; he just continued to do it um, season in, season out as well, which is mad. Yeah. Just must have been smashing them in at training, like day in, day out. So <laughs> mm. he really did make it a trademark. 
So, you know, I'd put him first if I wasn't biased. He would go top. Don't worry, there's, um, there's no rankings. It's just five in general. Yeah. It's fine. And uh, so, obviously, if you're going to say Gerard, you've got to talk about Lamps. But I feel like Lamps, I feel like all of his, his long-range goals, they would have been kind of just just outside the box. Like, I'm trying to think of him scoring screamers. I'm sure he did, but... That's kind of it, really. Like, it's consistently on the 18-yard box. And it's not, it's not even the worst thing on, in the world because it's still outside of the box. He's still doing it from different angles as well. And then there's mm. obviously there's that one where he should have had it in South Africa against Germany, Yes, trust me. Which was a long-range shot. And that would have been remembered Robbed. forever. But we were literally one when it was at 2-2. Um, but no, the thing that you mentioned about Frank Lampard, about having him running late into the box and making those those dancing runs so it's just there like he could finish in this inside of the box just perfectly fine but yeah. for long range options he was always there it did quite a few for England but mostly against these kind of minnows in qualifying not really at the biggest stage unfortunately at yeah. the European Championships but um, yeah. Frank Lampard has got a lot of big goals and a lot of long range goals as well Champions League especially in these quarterfinals these semi-finals as well brilliant players yeah no, just like trademark Gerard, you know, trademark lamps coming in, smashing mm. them in, finessing them in, just get just getting goals for fun, really. So uh, I think he's got to go in there, but I, I would prefer like a Gerard just because I feel like he had that that scream factor, you know, just breaking the net rather than I think with Gerard, Gerard more well, finesse. different techniques as well all the time. He could do a side foot um, shot um, as well as a, a driven shot with his laces as well. Lampard would always mostly just be with the laces. Like, he could do a side foot whippage and it would go in. Yeah, Same man. Free so, kick as well. Consistent guys. So, I mm. mean, if they're not in everyone's top five, I feel like they, they need to be. But, uh, so, yeah. And then I've, I've, I've got to give it Scolzi as well. Just because, mm. I just remember, like, when I was younger, just, just kind of like bail. Just the ball would come out and he'd just, out of nowhere, just absolute rifle it in. And you just used to look at it like, how's he done that? <laughs> they, just, they just they used to loop, they used to break the net. I don't know if he was like probably got as many numbers as the others in the list, but for me, it's just trademarked Scalzi as well. Like it's how I remember him just on the volley the against Aston Villa on the volley, Vienna, yeah. that amazing final goal against Barcelona um, to dis- to decide the tie as well. So that was something insane. Um, I'm gonna get Bradford. He did once upon a time. He did quite a few in the Premier League, mostly before like 2005, 2006, and then he changed his game to being more of a deep line midfielder. But he loved to bang up all goals. It was fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic to watch. And but I, mean, I think I'm, I, so I'm selling out a bit here. I'm just picking all the obvious ones. So I'm, just, okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like who else. John Joe Shelby. There we go. <laughs> oh my God! Why? Why Oli? John Joe Shelby. <laughs> You got better options than that. Come on. Do you know, I was also thinking, uh, forgive me if I say his name wrong, jo- Joanna Risa, you know, the Liverpool fullback. Joanna, Joanna Risa. Risa. Yeah. He used to break he used to break in it. But uh, but for me, I'm I'm gonna put my fifth one, gonna keep the bias strong. Christian Eriksen. I think uh, you could always rely on him to curl one in. Mm-hmm. Free kicks as well. I think we really missed him at Spurs. You know, this guy on free kicks. He scored free kicks. He curled them in. He just had a, he had the curl, man. I know. I, I don't really remember seeing him bust the net, but he was just precision, man. So I think the, I think two seasons as well. He was actually the top goal scorer for outside the box goals with mm-hmm. maybe five or six. So for me, keeping the bias strong. I've got to put I got to put Christian Eriksen in. What about Harry Kane? Does Harry Kane not score enough long range shots for you? I feel like he's just like uh, who was that one he absolute rifled in? Was it against Poland in the yeah, in the qualifiers? Yeah, that, that was just unreal. But I feel just the thing is I could you could say like your Kane's or even Shearer. I'm sure he grabbed a lot. Um, I just feel like when it comes to long range. I'm giving it to the midfielders because it's more like it's their speciality. Yes. Whereas, you know, Kane's kind of speciality is more in the box, just being in the right place. So although he's got fantastic technique, scores goals outside the box, 
I wouldn't say it's like he's, he's like a trait of his. Whereas these guys, it's more of like what they're about when it comes to scoring goals. Yeah, no, I agree completely with that. It's always an option to go for a midfield and that's probably more their domain as well. They're not really chasing it into the box all the time like the strikers are. They're probably just hanging back just in case the ball drops back to them and they just bang it into the goal, which is what they've done time in, time out, which is pretty good. Wow. What are you saying though, man? Do you agree with any of those? You got any uh, different ones? I've got loads of different ones. I agree with a lot of them, to be fair. But I think I'll go for, for the sake of variety, I'll add a few more in, into the hat. Because Gareth Bell, like I said, I agreed with immediately. He's a fantastic ball striker and probably still is now. He just hasn't got the game time at Real Madrid and probably hasn't got the fitness there in terms of yeah. the power that he had once upon a time as well. Nah, bit rude I haven't mentioned Ronaldo, actually. just want to put that out there. <laughs> Obviously, CR7 is, is a bit of a GOAT. Uh, we'll the long go, we'll, range. Yeah, we'll go for Ronaldo and Messi to add to this list as well because Messi just still does it ridiculously fantastically well. Different technique as well. It's almost like he just chips it in with so much power. It's fantastic to watch him play. That goal against uh, Man City in that first Champions League game that they played this season, that was incredible. Mm. Just touching the ball next to him and just whacks it in because it doesn't even look like he uses that much um, uh-uh. power. And it just, it just goes in, like you said, like a rifle. Um, just on a different level isn't it just different exactly. level and Cristiano Ronaldo who's been doing it for God knows how long as well since his Man United days long range free kicks not so much these days but more just long range shooting that he did as well especially at Real Madrid where defenders wouldn't get on to him as quick as they did in the Premier League or even at international level um, they would just do it all the time really long range 25-30 yard screamers left foot right foot he'd be able to do it from <laughs> anywhere on the pitch which is fantastic and um, yeah, just mentioning the goats right there in terms of the uh, greatest of all time in football, really, and they've kind of done it. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Kevin De Bruyne. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of players at Manchester you like just walking the ball in. Kevin De Bruyne doesn't mind a, a proper whack from outside the box, 25, 30 yards. He can do it drilled. He can do it side footed with a bit of swaz on it, as, they, as the kids call it these days, but you can properly whip it top corner as well. Yeah, the one the one in international break was nice. It, just, it was just so instinct for him. I mm. Who were they playing? But Yeah, like the ball he hit, was it Wales? I think it was Wales. Oh, yeah, because yeah. they were but just like and they just scored and then he would just shut up. Yeah. He like took a swing at it, missed, and then it came straight back to him and he just absolutely drilled it, like precision again, yeah. Mm. Fantastic technique. Brilliant player to watch, Kevin Bruyne. Again, the, oh, mate, long the, unbiased, yeah. the unbiased is there for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tony, Tony Cruz is a gem for me. I do like watching him play because with Tony Cruz, he doesn't always whack it. Sometimes he can just, again, just use the pace of the ball and he can just like um, put his foot in the right place and just curl in. Xabi mm-hmm. Alonso is very good at doing that as well. But I think for me, Tony Cruz edges it in terms of the consistency that he's done over the years. He's got an amazing free kick last season. Just like it, the one in the World Cup against Sweden, brilliant. It just whips it past the keeper and the wall, fantastic. And there's there's one goal that I really like. I forgot who it was against, forgive me, but it's one of those where it's outside of the box and there's all these people rushing towards him and he just taps it ever so slowly. And it's still outside of the box as well and it just curls past everyone into the bottom corner. You're just there like... Magician, yeah. Just the magician. Like, uh, yeah. No, um, I wasn't really thinking of La Liga. Actually, it's true. I was I was thinking more Premier League. But when, when you yeah, when you look at it like across Europe, just yeah, it's just so many guys who are just doing it for fun <laughs> year in year out. But yeah, like no, Zlatan would be doing it for fun. Thierry Henry would be doing it for fun. Henry, um, yeah, yeah. Ian Robin would be doing it for fun. He's also on my list as well. Robin. That trademark cutting from the right. <laughs> that, that really is trademark. That one. You see all of these reels and these videos of him on social media, of him just hitting the top corner against Arsenal. And you're like, I'm here for it because it's fantastic play. It is amazing watching Arjun Robin playing. Maybe not when he's scoring against you, but when he yeah. was by Munich, it was just consistent year in year out of the Champions League in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Fantastic. I'd l- yeah, I'd love to be just part of like a part of a fan of, of a Bayern because just like as soon as he gets the ball out wide you just know the whole stadium will be standing up and it's just just like I love, I love that when you, go, when you go watch a game those, those moments when you just stand up because you expect something to happen it would just be like two or three times every game just like oh <laughs> it's going to happen it's going to happen and if you pay to watch it happen it's a, it's a, it's a quality feeling as well um, 
Yeah, last one. I think I'll go a bit biased. Like, like you've been saying, you, you've thrown the bias in here and now. Don't mind. So I'll throw in Bruno Fernandes. I think Bruno Fernandes has consistently done it for Manchester United since he's been at the club. Um, I was fortunate enough to watch him do it live against Newcastle this season. We scored an amazing goal. Ronaldo took the plaudits home to that, that game because of the two goals that he scored. But Bruno Fernandes definitely scored the best goal of the game uh, outside the box into the, the keeper's side corner as well. So the keeper had all the chance to get it. It was on his favourite side, but he didn't get it. Um, scored oh, an amazing nice. goal against Everton last season as well. Scored quite a few um, drilled shots. He likes the inside of the boot shot as well. Quality players to watch and quality striker of the ball, Bruno Fernandes. And like you said, midfield players tend to have a bit more time on the edge of the box. And that's what he's done, which has been pretty good to see. Yeah, man. It's a shame that Paul Pogba didn't kind of keep up his long-range shooting that kind of made him famous at Juve. I don't mind like, I don't mind that because with, um, with Paul Pogba, he does score occasionally. Um, like he scored a really good one last season against Burnley. He scored a really good one um, against Swansea a couple of seasons ago and against Huddersfield. But when you're seeing him doing it for France as well, it's because he has so much more space. There's so mm. much more space in the in international games because he scored that amazing one against Switzerland in the Euros. And it's just there like standing like, there like, that's me. That's me. <laughs> that's me. That's what he can do. And he can do that. He has that in his locker, Paul Pogba, which is great. It's just the fact that uh, Premier League defenders and midfielders, they know he's a threat from outside of the box. It's just the fact that if he can improve his movement to get more free space, he can actually do it properly. And hopefully we get to see that under the next manager when he comes back into the team. He's injured at the moment, but Paul Pogba would have been someone who I would love to see more yeah. long-range shots from. Which is the case. Yeah, he's a real net buster from mm. uh, from his Juve days. Definitely, definitely. I think we've we've done ten now. I did a Robin <laughs> to make it, I think, ten or eleven, but it's fine. That's that's a good conversation because it's like you said, past and present, there's so many players to choose from. There's a lot to kind of differentiate between um, Yeah man, I'm sure we're missing some absolute uh we're going to be slaughtered, Ollie. Literally, they'll be like, how can you forget this person? How can you forget that person? Not mentioning Di Maria, not mentioning Coutinho, not mentioning this person, that person. Right, yeah, we forgot. It's fine. Doesn't matter. We'll move yeah, on. No. <laughs> Alexis on. Sanchez, maybe. Oh, man, crazy. Um, speaking of Alexis Sanchez, let's get on to the weekend's games in the Premier League as well. So, Arsenal have got Newcastle. So, Newcastle looked a lot different under the management of Eddie Howe from his hotel room on the weekend. What are your first thoughts on Arsenal versus Newcastle? Do you reckon Arsenal will win this game quite easily? Do you reckon it could be a challenge for them? How do you see it? Uh, I, don't, I don't see it being uh, like easy for them, but I'd be surprised if they didn't get three points out of that game. Mm. Obviously, new, Newcastle, new manager, so they're going to be up for it, but Arsenal need to bounce back. So, to be honest, it could go anyway. <laughs> it being Arsenal, but... Um, you would fancy them to win it. I'll laugh if they don't. I hope they don't, but <laughs> uh, I expect them to take home three points at the Emirates as well, right? Yeah, it's at the Emirates. Um, so Arsenal have had a pretty good um, recovery from the beginning of the season. They lost, obviously, last week to Liverpool 4-0, but if you lose 4-0 to Liverpool, sometimes it's looked at as a blessing because you're kind of humbled in a way in terms of thinking no, yeah. of these Arsenal fans are thinking, oh yeah, we could do it to them. We could finally win at Anfield <laughs> the first time since 2012. But they didn't. They were dreaming. They were dreaming. <laughs> they were dreaming. And they've got Man United next as well. But so that'll be an easier game than against uh, Liverpool. But Arsenal should win this game. I mean, Eddie Howe got Joel Linton on the score sheet somehow. Um, got a different setup in the team with the 3 4 3 formation that he had as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this game goes. I reckon Arsenal will win at least 2 1 in this game. Um, I do like the fact that they've got um, Saka and Smith Rowe and Aubameyang all on the pitch at the same time you've got that width you've got that creativity there as well so um, it's going to be a good learning season for Smith-Rowe and for Saka especially um, against these different types of teams how to uh, get past these different players and these different systems I'm looking forward to seeing how they develop um, this season yeah but up, up the tune though up the tune <laughs> you want Newcastle to win this game we can't have Arsenal yeah. um, Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa uh, so Patrick Vieira is just Keep surprising us week in, week out with his team. Conor Gallagher's just having an amazing season. Uh, ben Teke scoring frequently now as well, which I haven't seen for a long time. 
it's like nature's healing in a way because he hasn't really scored as much in 2013 <laughs> or 14, I think, when he was at Aston Villa. So um, Aston Villa with their new manager, Steven Gerrard, who we spoke a lot about on last week's podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how um, Aston Villa do in this game. I think Crystal Palace will win. I don't think Aston Villa will, um, will have a six because I think Crystal Palace from the better form at the moment. Um, Jarrah's tactics last week were pretty decent from what I look back upon with their 4-3-3 formation, going a bit more attacking with the players that they have and letting Danny Ings be the main man in the middle as well, press them from the front, showing some attacking intent. How do you see Crystal Palace facing off against Aston Villa? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually, when I was looking through the games, I was thinking that's one of the ones I'm interested in, in seeing actually just... As you said, Vieira's doing a solid job. Gerard coming in, got two young managers. I think you've got two hungry teams as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that would be a good game. I can't really call it. Um, is it at Selhurst? Yeah, it's at Selhurst Park. No, I, think, I think I'll have to give it for Palace. I think their, their, their fans are pretty good as well. I think they're really like a 12th man, so... I'll, yeah, I'll go with Palace for that one. But I'm excited to see. I think it could go any way, to be honest. So. Yeah, they'll be up. Looking forward to it. Then we've got Liverpool versus Southampton. So I think it'll be a three points Liverpool easy. There aren't many teams stopping Liverpool this season. Um, Liverpool are looking fantastic on the attack as well. Uh, even though Firmino's out until mid-December, late December. Uh, I've still got Jota in. You've still got Minamino in as well. Southampton. Yeah, Minamino's looking hungry. Yeah, he's looking for he's looking for that um that performance in there for him to continue continuously stay in the team as well, which will be decent. But Southampton, from what I can see, um, realistically speaking, they haven't had the best of starts of the season, unfortunately. And it's gonna be good to see how they can bounce back. But I don't think they're gonna bounce back in this game. I think Liverpool are way too strong um in, in this game. What do you think? Liverpool win? No. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm agreeing. All the way there. I just, I think we were. I can't remember last time I was on. It was a uh, Liverpool v uh, Brighton. Mm. I'm not too sure, but at, at that time I was, I was kind of questioning Liverpool a bit. But they I drew think, I don't think, at that time as well. Yeah, true. but yeah, I don't think I, I should question Liverpool anymore. <laughs> I think they're just shutting all the haters up recently. So I expect them to to take the three points comfortably. To be honest. So like I was saying earlier, that right-hand side of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mohamed Salah just killing it right now for Liverpool. So they're literally just dominating teams with their goals and assists. So it's going to be crazy to see how they continue to do that once Mohamed Salah goes to the African Cup of Nations in January as well, if they can. Yeah, that's a show. Which will be crazy. Um, Dean Smith's Norwich versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. So Dean Smith finally got a, a win for Norwich last week against Southampton. So we'll see how that, that comes across because he started with Billy Gilmore in the midfield at Chelsea Loney, the Scottish international, and Todd Cantwell came back into the team as well. So I'm looking forward to this game. It's another home game for Dean Smith. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, they've kind of got their act together under their new manager. Uh, Jimenez has started scoring frequently as well. They had a decent run of um, games coming up as well. And I think this is a game where Wolverhampton Wanderers can stamp their authority down. I think they can really take it to Norwich. And I think it would be good to see how Norwich actually fight back from this. But I think it will be... A Wolverhampton Wanderers win. I think Norwich could probably take something if if they can if they can do it. But I think Wolves are too strong currently at this time um, for Norwich. How do you see this game go? Yeah, no, I'm agreeing there. I was surprised to see Wolves uh, beat West Ham. So uh, mm-hmm. I think they they want to keep it going. They'll be in good spirits. Norwich, uh, you know, Norwich and Norwich. So <laughs> I see, yeah, I see it Wolves all the way. But yeah, you know, maybe there'll be an upset. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? This one's an odd one because this is going to be at 5.30 and it's going to be televised. So it's going to be Brighton and Hove Albion versus Leeds United. So Leeds, who were on Super Sunday last week against Tottenham, um, they're again on, on TV against Brighton. So how did Leeds do last week, Oli, from your point of view? Like when you're watching Spurs, how do you think Leeds done? They were over-reliant on Gail Hart and Daniel James, but I think they're missing Bamford quite a bit, to be fair as well. Yeah, I mean, they definitely outplayed us in that first half. It was quite quite frustrating to watch. I think they mm. kept the ball well. Obviously, we all know that they run. But when it came to the second half, they just, yeah, they didn't really have any other options. So once Conte had changed the tactics, they were, I think they were pretty just much waiting, waiting to concede a goal. And uh, I think Dan, Dan, Daniel James had another chance late on. 
But yeah, nothing really too too uh, spectacular in that team at the moment to uh, to get you know like a decent amount of goals. I can't I can't really can't really write them off, but I don't see them doing anything amazing. Just mm-hmm. depends if Brighton turn up. I feel like Brighton have fallen off a bit in the last few weeks, so hoping that Brighton has kind of come back a bit because uh, it's exciting to see a team like you don't really expect to do well doing so well yeah it's, and, it's nice uh, to see Brighton do that because especially of them being promoted what, three four years ago you just forget about them in a way in the Premier League because they're just always there and they're, they're not really going towards relegation as much as we expected them to when they got promoted so it's good to see how they're progressing this season as well under Graham Potter so um, but I think this will be a draw I think it'll be like a 2-2 draw I think Brighton will have a good game and I think it'll be a draw um, coming up for, for Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go with a draw, Brighton, to be honest. Mm. I feel like Leeds are just maybe missing something right now. Leeds are just going through the motions, I think, from what I've seen. Oh, man. In the weeks man, if, trying to get like if, their players back. Yeah, if you're getting beat by Tottenham, you're not doing too well. Let's put it that way. Oh, man, can't be losing that White Hart Lane like this. Crazy. <laughs> Uh, then we've got Sunday's games. We've got Brentford versus Everton. So, of all the games on Sunday, this is one of the ones I've televised. <laughs> That's going to be quite odd to, to to gather. But I think with, with Brentford at the moment and Everton at the moment, I'm going for a, a ball draw, a 1-1. At Brentford, they, they love scoring for fun. Um, but I think Everton will kind of nullify this team. I think it will be a 1-1 game. Um, it's 3-3 last week for Brentford and Newcastle, if I remember correctly as well. So, I think it will be completely the opposite. I think Everton have it in, within them to actually stop them um, going forward because they played against Man City last week, Everton, and they got demolished 3-0. So I'm contradicting myself in what I'm saying, but I think it will be a 1-1 game um, for Brentford against Everton. How do you see this game going, Oli? Do you reckon Benin is actually doing a good job at Everton? Honestly, I think it, I think he's not the man for the job. Um, mm. When I watched them against us, I think they, they, they put on quite a good display, mm-hmm. show that they... they, they De- they are a decent team still, but um, Brentford, a hungry team, this could go anyway. Um, I'm going to go Brentford just because I think Everton are pretty whack these days. I mean, they couldn't even beat us, as I said <laughs> about Leeds. So can't be Spurs. I don't think you're gonna you're gonna have to put in a shift to beat a team like uh, Brentford. The way they're fighting these days, the way yeah, they're scoring. So there's only two points separating them as well. So. Uh, it's crazy because you're seeing a lot of these players that have come up from the championship as well and it just like, it looks like they belong in the Premier League which is really good in terms of how Thomas Frank has coached this, this Brentford side and it's going to be one to watch over the Christmas period how they do as well I think in terms of how they deal with um, the bigger shift in games um, the quality of the opponents that's coming up for them as well so yeah it'll be a decent game on, on Sunday now we've got Burnley versus Tottenham so how do you think Conte will do against Sean Dyke, Oli, do you reckon it'll be a win? Do you reckon get the W against Burnley? I'm expecting the W. I'll be honest. Uh, we we did Burnley when we had Nuno, um, mm. and I think we're just we're a completely different team, stronger. Um, I don't think Burnley have a a massive goal for it. I think that did they score three in their last game though? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, against uh, Crystal Palace. Yeah, but I I do kind of uh, see us boss in that game but you know when you never know what's going to happen when did you play Burnley under Nuno was that in the League Cup yeah that was in the Cup 1-0 one, uh, one mm. got, the, got the win can't remember who scored but <laughs> uh, apparently it was just like a good defensive display just uh, took all their onslaughts from their long balls and managed to grab a goal but I think it will play differently and I uh, hope I hope that we win comfortably because I think we, we need that now we've, we've won the hard way with Conte twice, so it's time for a, a, a good display, I feel. But you know, win could take you up to fifth as well. So it could, if the results go your way, you could end up being fifth, just a point behind West Ham. Um, West Ham have got Man City on Sunday as well. So I'm, I'm surprised this game hasn't been televised because this looks like a, a great game to be watching for a neutral um, game as well. So Man City yeah, and West Ham both in European actions, they're both in the top four as well. Um, I think it will be a Manchester City win. I think Manchester City will have enough quality at home to beat West Ham United. And last season when David Moyes went there as well, he kind of changed his tactics just to try and accommodate um, Manchester City's attacking lineup. But 
realistically speaking, I think Manchester City have too much pace, power, performance and position for this West Ham United side. But I'd love a shot from West Ham. It'd be great if they shot. It's <laughs> like they did against Liverpool. They, they ruined their unbeaten run in the beginning of the season. So it'd be good to see how David Moyes does against his Pep Guardiola side. How do you see it going, Man City versus West Ham United, Oli? Yeah, and no, I think, again, also quite excited for this one. I think, uh, obviously, European both both played in midweek. West Ham playing tonight. Do you yeah, know who they got? Tonight. The European yeah, so, League, whichever one. So, yeah, both teams will be uh, not completely rested. So, you know, it will be like maybe could be some goals in it. And uh, West Ham are up for it. But I feel like it's about time that West Ham fall off now. As a Spurs fan, I'm saying that. So <laughs> I'm uh, hoping, you know, Man City do them comfortably. But I do think it'll be a good game. And uh, I do think it will go to City. But I think it could be close. Tired legs, perhaps. But City have the power to, to rotate better than West Ham. So Yeah, we'll and see, they're we'll play as well. They'll be able to just pass their way around West Ham, though heavily reliant on counter-attack and football the way that they have been recently as well, uh, which has been working so well for them as well. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I th- like I said, I think Manchester City have too much power for this West Ham United side. And it'll be good to see how um, Ben Johnson does against this defence, against this attack, sorry, for Manchester City as well. Because you're looking on the other side of the pitch at Jao Cancelo and Carl Walker, who are amazing fullbacks. And you're looking at someone who's kind of just starting his, his trade in terms of being... Um, an attacking fullback as well for West Ham. So it'll be good to see how Ben Johnson does um, this week against Manchester City. Then we've got the return of uh, Claudio Ranieri to Leicester. So Leicester are playing uh, Watford. Watford are free scorers, going five against Everton, four against <laughs> Manchester United. And Leicester City are they're in a topsy turvy season. They lost 3 0 to Chelsea. Um, they're 12th in the league, only 15 points. <laughs> Who doesn't lose 3 0 to Chelsea, though? <laughs> exactly. If you lose 3 0 to Chelsea, you got off easy. Um, <laughs> no, two points ahead, but yeah, two points ahead of Watford. So Ranieri could end up taking, um, overtaking Leicester as well. I think this could be a Watford win. I think Ranieri could come back to this Leicester side um, who are down on confidence, they're downbeat on performance, and they'll be in the Europa League tonight as well. I think Watford could really take this um, Leicester side all the way and they can end up winning with their attacking talent that they showed last week in terms of Emmanuel Dennis, Joshua King, Jao Pedro coming off the bench as well. I think they've got it in them. And Tom Cleverley and Musa Sissoko, who have kind of been around the Premier League for quite a long time, they've kind of come back and have done, done pretty well this season for Watford. How do you see Leicester facing off against Watford? Do you reckon Brendan Rodgers has enough within him to win against Watford? No, I think it'll be a good game. Another good game this uh, this weekend. I do think that Watford, actually, I managed to watch that one. It was on quite early. So I watched Manu get destroyed by Watford, really. Watford were just so hungry. And uh, I guess it's the new manager pumping that into them. And you, you show it, seeing the class in the players. And uh, yeah, really attacking, as you say, Leicester, not really having the best of seasons. Really, they are looking low on confidence. Uh, they're still a good team. Like let's not let's not be around a bush. Like they're still a good team. I don't think Watford will bang them, <laughs> but I, I do see Watford getting a result here, and uh, I, ho- I hope they do actually. Uh, it, was, it was quite nice to see uh, on the Watford team do well, just because they're you know they're, they're around uh, around London, kind of near our ends. So I have a bit of a soft spot for Watford. Mm. Top golf is in Watford, so it's always a good time. Uh, yeah, there we go. Good <laughs> for Watford as well. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this game. Um, it'll be a busy game, busy day that game as well. Because there's like four, five, there's five games on, on Sunday, so there's nothing on Monday as well. So yeah, yeah. How it is. And the final game is Chelsea versus Manchester United. So 4 0, 5 0. Chelsea, honestly, they look, they just look incredible right now. Like, I'm watching them just. Actually, I'm enjoying watching them. Man. What? That's so wrong. I shouldn't be doing that, but... I, just, I agree. Like, literally, literally so I good. agree. It's like watching... I don't know how to describe it, but you're literally watching a rival team that you don't like and you've disliked for so many years and your friends support them. And you're just there thinking, you can't say anything bad about them because everything they're doing just... looks right. 
it's just like it's like is incredible. Their fullbacks are insane. They're playing some three-two-five formation. Rich James is in the form of his life. Chilwell and Alonso having really good seasons at left wing back. They are, they're missing Werner and Lukaku, and they play three attacking midfielders or wingers in their front three. And guess what? They're still banging in goals. It's <laughs> and Werner came back and he scored a goal against. Uh, Werner United. scored. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Destroyed. Couldn't believe it. Side. I was saying that they, uh, Delit and Benucci just looked like uh, Jones and Smalling on, on that. No, oh, yeah. Just really cool things he did. Was it, was it the third goal or was it Ziyech? Yeah, Ziyech's goal. They were just like walking in the box and like Juve just couldn't do anything. And even if they could clear it, it was only going as far as, you know, Georgina, the fullbacks, yeah. uh, Georgina, whatever, you know, they were just, they're just like a machine, like a, they like a pack of wolves. They're just, oh man, you just wish that was your team. But uh, yeah, that's enough bread in Chelsea. But I can't see Man U getting anything from Chelsea. <laughs> I told a couple of my friends that if we win against Chelsea, I'll take you guys out for dinner. And they're like, if we win 5 0 or more, we'll take you out for dinner. I'm like, you're probably going <laughs> to take me out for dinner because Chelsea are going to look like they have been this season. I looked emphatic. Maybe not against Liverpool, but that's a tough side that they face. Uh, maybe not against Manchester City because again another tough side they face or Juventus away. But they're at home. They're going to have a full crowd in them. It's going to be an amazing game for the neutrals and for Chelsea. But for Man United, not so much. We're still without a man. <laughs> we 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 may have won against Villarreal, but it's a game with the players in the, of the caliber that we have. We should have won. We were expected to win to qualify. Uh, the ca- keep. Keeper did give it to Ronaldo as well, <laughs> pretty much. It was, it was a given, basically. Um, you're just kind of looking there thinking, it's going to be another frustrating evening for Man United and for Man United fans. Could it be another 5-0? Most likely. I think it could be. <laughs> it's, not, it's not comfortable for us Man United fans at the moment. And if you watched our live recording of the Champions League preview, you saw how upset I was. And I, that's why I'm like, when you're talking about Man United, it's not the same and it's not you're not comfortable and... You, like, it's also, like I said earlier in the season, me getting gassed over watching Ronaldo score live against Atalanta and against Villarreal. They're probably the highlights of the season. His return against <laughs> is probably the highlight of the season. I don't see us doing anything um, regarding the top four unless we get a manager in now, an actual manager. Because where are we? Let's look at the table. We're eighth. We're on the same points as Brighton. Crystal Palace are below us. Everything yeah, man. Above us, above us is Spurs and Wolves. Yeah, and says it all, really. Says it all. Awful performance from Man United. Probably the worst start I've ever seen in my life from a Man United. That's, yeah. We're not even winning the routine games, let alone the games that, that we could be losing or 50-50. But no, not looking forward to this Man United game. I am a pessimist uh, this weekend. Man Let's United. just see what our character can do. If Carrick, if Carrick wins against Chelsea, give him the three-year deal. Let him sign whatever he wants. Do the whole Rio Ferdinand spiel again. But no, nah, it's not going to happen. It definitely <laughs> It's going to be Carrick's like Ryan Mason had to manage against Pep Guardiola in that final. It's the same, it's the same thing, really. That's how I see it. Oh, this is it. This is how we end it. This is how we end the podcast. No, we're going to end with something positive, Ollie. We're going to end with something positive. Um, let me ask you how you think it's going to go over the Christmas period. Do you reckon you'll be having a lot of time to be watching football? Because I think with me, I'm quite happy for the first time in, I think it's three or four years? Yeah, two, two years. So the first time in two years, it'll be quite good to actually go and see some... Um, some different, like, you've got a variety because with us in England, we've got lockdown and we had it last year. This year, we may not have a lockdown in the Christmas. I'm looking forward to that. How's it looking for you over the winter period in Vietnam on a personal level? Is everything looking positive? Is there still kind of a lockdown? How do you see it kind of going on? Yeah, we should, we should kind of start opening up fully. I see we're mm. getting, like, tourists back in. That's good. So my, my plan was to get back to England for Christmas, but oh. it's... Uh, it's too difficult now it's too late and uh, hard to come back to Vietnam so I'm uh, going to probably have to postpone it to Easter but uh, I think it, everything's looking better and better hopefully I can get back in the classroom teaching soon um, uh, 
But yeah, one of the good things about being online is I have more time to be at home and uh, watch the football. Because a lot of the time the football's on when I'm commuting home from work. Because I'll work late and then I'm working and there's a game on. And uh, yeah, man, so I should have time to be watching the football. And uh, things are decent here. So yeah, a little positive note. Without me ranting about Man United, so I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that things have been different from the last time we had our um, our Zoom chats when you were in official lockdown. And hopefully, it's coming to the end of it in Vietnam. So nicely done there, um, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I'll be popping a poll in in terms of the long range shooters. Who's your favourite? Who's your least favourite? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Hope everyone we didn't offend messy, anyone. Messy, 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 messy. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it if it's a Lionel Messi one. Uh, it's a quality <laughs> long range shooter as well which is brilliant uh, Ollie thanks for being on the podcast as always it's fantastic chatting with you yeah, nice one bro which is all good um, let me begin my day take care and goodbye